0: I'm Jen Taylor Skinner, and this is The Electorate. On this episode, I have a conversation with Representative Lisa Blunt Rochester of Delaware. She joins me to discuss Women's Equality Day and the importance of empowering other women. And in the context of commemorating the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment, we also talk about how we can learn from our past and create inclusive movements that lift up all women. Representative Blunt Rochester made history herself in her 2016 election to Congress as the first Black woman and the first woman of color to be elected to represent the state. She was also a member of Vice President Biden's VP Vetting Committee, and we discussed that process as well as the strengths that Kamala Harris brings to the ticket. Lastly, we talk about what moved her to run for office herself, and it's truly a moving and powerful story, and I'm so thankful that she shared it. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Representative Lisa Blunt-Rochester. Representative Blunt-Rochester, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. And I'm so excited to be here. You know, so when I think about the ratification of the 19th Amendment and Women's Equality Day, you know, that passage was so crucial to what women have today and where we are today. You know, But I can't help but imagine where we might be today had that movement been more inclusive, Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> yes. yes, yeah, you know, and I think about that because we have a record number of women running for Congress, a record number of women in Congress, right? And I and I wonder, like, what can we do now as we move forward to make sure that that we don't repeat those mistakes? You know, Jen, I think um, that's a
1: perfect place to start because I think by looking at the past, if you if you learn from it, um, you can grow. Uh, it's interesting. I've heard people talk about this uh, centennial. As not necessarily a celebration, but more of a commemoration, and and it was a feat into itself. I mean, when you think about the effort and the, the the marches and the efforts that folks made, particularly women at that time. But we also think about the fact that for women, many women of color, that the opportunity to vote really didn't come until the '60s. And so you think about, as you said, what what could we have achieved had we been more unified then? And you can think about that and dwell on it and then say, what are the lessons learned? And I think the fact that I got elected in 2016, I came in at the same time as Donald Trump and I had never run for anything in my entire life. And, you know, it was, uh, Delaware had never elected a woman. Delaware had never elected a person of color to Congress. We only have one seat. And so at the time that I decided to run, I had served in state government. I had run our Urban League here. I had lived around the world and, and raised my children. But it was really the um, unexpected tragic death of my husband, who went on a business trip, ruptured his Achilles tendon, and after playing a game of basketball before a work meeting, and then blood clots went to his heart and lungs, and it it just it just shook me to the core, and I had to find my purpose still on this planet, and you know, it wasn't until I, like a year later, I was, I felt like I was numb, just kind of going through the motions. And I started noticing other people that were, you know, having challenges, like in my own city of Wilmington, there was a lot of, um, they were talking about the the gun violence. And then I saw a dad and three kids in a supermarket in front of me, and he had to put back a bunch of grapes because they were $9. And that like shook me out of my own, my own sadness. And I think you know, Donald Trump capitalized on people's anger or sadness or, you know, the challenges they were facing. And it inspired me to run, not knowing who was going to be president or what I was going to be facing. And I think after he won and we had the Women's March, I think that was a watershed moment because it showed the possibility. I mean, the diversity of the crowd from, you know, Black and Latino, Latina and and trans and Muslim and Jewish. Like it was everybody there together and people haven't let up since then. And so I won in 2016. By 2018, EMILY's List, an organization that helps women candidates, which helped me, they saw a a thousand percent increase in, in women's interest to run for office. So, I do think we can learn from the past. I think we can still commemorate and celebrate, um, but we got to take that and turn it into action. And that's what's happening right now. And that's what gets me excited about this hundredth anniversary is that it's not just about, yay, let's celebrate this moment. It is about how do we do the work and how do we how do we change the course of history and 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 the, and, and people's lives. So, yeah, I wow. think it's an exciting time.
0: Wow, that's incredible. That's an incredible story. I'm I'm so sorry about your husband. I, I
1: hadn't heard you. that story. Yeah, um, it was really you know. It's funny because I'm now 58, and I've I started as a caseworker in a congressional office for our current senator, like back. 30, 31 years ago, and, you know, kind of lived, lived my life, you know, had two kids, they went to public schools and HBCUs and graduated, but, but I also had to go through a, a divorce, you know, after 20 years of marriage, and then raise these teenagers, and then become widowed. And I think that's the story of women, too. We, we're constantly reinventing ourselves, and we're, we're, you know, you, you, you adapt, you reinvent, and you go on to the next. And, and Right now is such an important time for this country, and um, women's voices are needed now more than ever, and that's why representation matters so much.
0: And you're the perfect person to to lead right now, because I think that the best leaders lead from their personal experiences, like the Mm -hmm. the experience you had in the grocery store, right? And Mm -hmm. I was thinking about that, and I was thinking in the context, because I know you were on the committee, the, the vetting committee for vice president, right? Yes, and I was thinking about Kamala Harris and all of the boxes she checks, right? Black woman, Indian American, you know, the, the daughter of immigrants, you know, they were activists. I think yes. that must have made her a stronger candidate for VP. Was that a part of the your thinking in the vetting process? You know, I first of all, I was so honored uh, when Vice
1: President Biden asked me to serve on this four-person vetting uh, committee. And, you know, I did not take it lightly you know, the responsibility and also having run before, I think I brought a different lens to it than, you know, maybe someone who hadn't. So, you know, you're looking at all kind of things, like, like you look at a Kamala Harris, she's run for president, she's been vetted, she knows how challenging it is, and she's done it on three levels of government. So she's run, but she's also governed, which is, you know, really, really important. And the The thing that made it exciting was that every single one of the women was more than qualified. You know, and I I always start with that because for women, the public, they need to know these were qualified women. We have a deep bench. The, The thing about Kamala Harris is, as you said, she she has this not only professional experience, But the lived experience, you know, having gone to an HBCU herself, having run the largest legal operation in our country, you know, as attorney general in California and the second largest in the world. But also, you know, being that that and she doesn't call herself a stepmom, a stepmother. But, you know, a woman, all the different experiences that go into that, I think, make her uniquely qualified. And then the fact that she actually had a personal connection to Vice President Biden through his son, Bo, who I knew um, very well. And even when I was in the hospital, when my husband um, passed away, I got a call from Bo Biden and I didn't know at the time he was actually about to transition himself. I mean, literally, it was months later that that he died, about six months later. So Kamala brings that relationship as well um, to to the connection with Vice President Biden. And I think it, it makes her uniquely qualified for this job. And she'll she'll be able to make a case. I mean, she's a, she's a, she's a lawyer. She's a prosecutor. She knows how to make the case for the American people for why um, they are the team that needs to lead us and help us build this country back better.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I have a quick story about her that I wanted to tell you. It's been sticking Ooh. in my mind since she got this nomination, but I met her in Seattle when she was here when she was campaigning and she was still running for president. And I was on the front row uh-huh. <laughs> and I had, you know, I was just like, I'm going to talk to her at the end. I was, you know, a huge supporter. And she came up to me and I said, you know, I really, really want you to win, right? I really mm-hmm. want to, you know, do what I can. She goes, and she looked at me, and she held my hands and she looked me straight in the eye and she said, I'm going to win, right? Wow. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And, and I believed her. Yeah. But later I realized, you know, after she dropped out of the primary and after she got this VP nomination, I realized that what she was saying to me and what I saw in her eyes yeah. was the conviction of a woman and the conviction of a black woman who'd been told too many times that she could not win. Yeah. That's yeah. what I saw. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that just stuck with me and, and I connected with her and I was like, yes, I know that look, I know that feeling because yes. through her life, people were telling her that, you know, all the time you can hear it now. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, it, it was so interesting to me, even this conversation, um, you know, about ambition and, you know, I think for, for me. First of all, for all of those women to even get to the level that they they got was uh, there's a level of ambition that is required. But I think it's more the tenacity. It's the grit. It's that I I see a a bigger, greater good. And I'm I'm going to go for it and I'm going to contribute. And and I think that that is important for all of us to see you know especially in this this time and as you said for her to look in your eyes and say that like didn't that feel empowering to you yes <laughs> yeah, yeah right right you know and i love i have a t-shirt that says empowered women empower women and i think that's that you know that also is symbolic of this this current moment, you know, the commemoration of a hundred years of the right to vote is that we have to empower each other. And that doesn't just mean running for office. I mean, there's so many roles that each and every one of us can play. And like right now, just before I got on the the call with you, I was texting my nephew to say, hey, are you, did you register? Did you get this situation straightened out? Because because of COVID, you know, he had moved to another state, he couldn't get his driver's license, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so it's important that we help empower each other. And even the, even the things that don't seem huge, you know, there's still, every part is going to be important for this election.
0: Yeah. And, you know, and in hindsight, when I was thinking about that, I think what I realized is that that's the mantra that has to go through our heads, through the heads of women and through the Mm -hmm. heads of black women and women of color to, you know, counter. That cacophony of voices that are telling us, you know, we have to keep telling ourselves we will win. We can win. We can do this, right? Oh my God. Let
1: me tell you, Jen, I actually, (laughs) during my
0: campaign, I remember because it, like
1: I said, it had never been done and I had never even been in a debate in my life. And I was debating lawyers. It was me and five guys in the primary. (laughs) And I remember standing, I would stand in my mirror and literally look at myself and say, You 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 got this. You're great. You're gonna do great tonight. Like you know, I would actually. The self talk was so important because between the the messages that you get externally, it's the stuff that's also in your head. And running for office can be a very solitary process where you're you're thinking of you you know people who you thought were your friends. It's like oh gosh, they didn't even like care to give me five dollars. You know, like or or people who you thought you know, didn't didn't get what you were trying to do, who showed up with a pot of spaghetti or soup and said, Hey, listen, I know you don't have time to cook. So I, I don't I don't have, you know, the money to get to your campaign, but I can give you this. Like those things count. Like I still remember the first person who gave me five dollars and she worked for um I think she worked for AIDS Delaware. And I still remember that. Like it made such a difference to me, even more than the you know the max out person. It's like that five dollars. I knew how much it took for her to to take the time and to to give to me, and and she was the first person that from Delaware that gave to me. So I think everybody um, that em- empowered women empower women is is I mean that that gets me pumped. It really does, and and <laughs> and, and Kamala actually—that's who. So in the, we're both members of the Congressional Black Caucus, of course. So we every, things are in seniority order. We march into events in seniority order. We sit next to each other in seniority order. Well, Kamala sits. We sit right next to each other. She's right before me in seniority or, order. So so I've had a chance over the last uh, four years to to spend time with her uh, in 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 CBC meetings as well as you know. Other events. And through this process, got to see a, an even deeper side of who she is and what she will bring to the vice presidency. So it's very exciting.
0: Wow. You know, I have to say, I have to stop and say that I'm very proud of you and what you've done and your run and you're empowering me right now. just <laughs> listening to your stories. Good, good. You know, I I tell you
1: it, um, each of us has a purpose. And I, what I learned, Charles, my, my late husband, I mean, he was so this was the guy I dreamt about and wrote about in my journals when I was in a you know a challenging marriage and I was like someday and he showed up and we had 10 incredible years together and he was smart and sexy and funny and a, a cute omega sci-fi cute like he was he was everything and it was a beautiful opportunity um but what I learned from that relationship, and even when he was on his deathbed, um, I played my song for him, which was beautiful, "Surprise" by India Irene. And um, he had his song for me was a Kim song, you know, K E M, Kim, the artist Kim. And it was heaven. The song was heaven. Oh. It's the song we got engaged on. And we played it when we got married. And what I asked God was like, "Why did this happen? Like, why did I lose him?" And it was just clear that we are only on this planet for, for one thing, and that's love, to love each other, to love ourselves, to love this planet, that we are not taking care of the best that we should, and, and, and if you believe in God, to love God. You know, when you boil it down to that, when you love somebody, you don't want them to be homeless. When you love somebody, you want them to have clean drinking water. And when you love somebody, you don't want them to be discriminated against. It's all about love. That's it. It's that simple.
0: It's that simple. And it's something that's so simple. Somehow the current administration, <laughs> yeah, they don't get it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, there's an absence of love. There's an absence of empathy. Yeah, And, you know, we have to get Biden and Harris over the finish line. Right. I mean, because they yes. don't really care about these people. And so, you know, I was thinking about that and I was thinking, cause I, I saw you do, you did an address about the post office, right. The things that are happening at the post mm-hmm. office. And, mm-hmm. and you know now we have the hearing cause you were calling for a hearing. I remember that now. And so I was, t- <laughs> this is so silly. So, you know, we're talking about the Nineteenth Amendment, which I think was one of the most expansive inclusive changes. I think it enabled twenty-six million women to vote, I think. So it was really expansive in that sense. Great. And you know, now where we are now, we're trying to keep post boxes on yes, the streets yes you know and i was telling my son about that my eight-year-old son because i you know he has to listen to me i talk about politics and he's like oh, right. you're gonna talk about that again and i was saying you can't guess what's happening now i said you know they're removing post offices and people can't vote and he just laughed out loud at the silliness of that
1: yeah right like incredible. this is where we are it's so,
0: incredible i mean you know that, uh,
1: to your point we we're now fighting voter suppression Voter depression. I mean, you know, the, the issue of falsehoods and myths that we're going to have to counter, you know, in terms of voter depression are immense. But it's voter suppression, depression, the Russians, um, <laughs> the, the Postal Service. All of that. But I will tell you this, you know, I do think about those suffragists and I think about um, Ida B. Wells. I think about all these people that came before us and like they did not stop. They did not give up. And Michelle Obama was so inspirational to me during the, the convention when she basically said, people, if you first of all, get your ballots early. I just got my ballot in the mail and I'm shipping that thing off like this week, like it's going to get out the door. But if you can't do that, you know, if you've got to go to the polls, you know, you take every precaution that you need to, but be prepared, put your, put your sneakers on, you know, bring your, your bag lunch. I thought that was the the best yeah. part of her speech, too, because it it was the call to action, and it was like, "Look, get your mind right, be ready, because this is about your right, your power," and and so to me, um, like you said, it's kind of ironic that a hundred years later we're still fighting for the right to vote, right? You know, you know? yeah.
0: So and you know, and as we move forward, you know, we have to think about okay, you know, once you know. Biden and Harris are in office, we have to think, what can we do so that we aren't having this fight in 2024 and 2028? Right. You know, and I don't know what the solution is. You know, I mean, do we put it in the Constitution? You know, what do we do?
1: Right. Well, you know, we actually in the House passed a Voting Rights Act, which we changed the name to the John Lewis, um, you know, Voting Rights Act. And I think you're right. I mean, it's sort of like these things are foundational to who we say we are as a country. And so they need to be enshrined. And I, I even think about um, why, uh, again, it's so great to see the number of women who have come to Congress. I mean, like I said, in in 2016, when I was elected, um, I remember Emily's List, they had, I, I can't even remember the exact numbers, but it was like, I don't know, uh, you know a couple hundred women ac- across the country who expressed an interest in running. It might've been like 900. And then in 2018, it was like 47,000 or something. Like it was just, it exploded. It exploded. And for us to have, you know, the first two Muslim women in Congress, the first two Native American women in Congress, the oldest and the youngest women elected to Congress. I mean, it, it does make a, it does make a difference. But then you look at, then you look at like, the, the corporate sector. So I was looking at the number of women that are CEOs, like Fortune 500. And okay, we're talking 500, right? 37 of them are women. 37. And that's a high, that's a new high. So, you know, there are so many facets uh, that where we still need to grow. And um, I think that that's the thing that that has to be the focus. You know, when, when uh, Kamala said, I accept your nomination as vice president of the United States of America. I mean, for me, that all became very real. And I, I felt the weight of it and the importance of it. And I think that, again, we wanna see and feel that everywhere. You know, it, it is hard enough for someone like a Kamala to become the first, but we all know we want it to be the norm that, you know, it, we want it to be the norm. And, um, uh, I think that's the thing that also is, is motivational.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, you know, back to Women's Equality Day and Kamala Harris and all the things that women bring when they lead, you know, yeah. um, we think about all those fights that we've had and we've won, you know, mm-hmm. um, do you think that that we as Democrats are making the case that women, you know, have that political power and that they can flex that political power, you know, in many ways, you know, obviously running for office, so many people are running for office, but, you know, just at the ballot box? You know, it's
1: it's interesting because I think that the way it's demonstrated is by the policies. So even even when you look at um, the Biden agenda, you know, I mean, the fact that there is a focus on jobs, equal pay, um, women, small business owners, you know, the fact that there's a focus also on the things that help you to be able to succeed, like childcare, affordable childcare, and, you know, elder care. The fact that we're talking about in ending violence against women, these things are issues that were pushed by our by many groups in this country, including the House uh, Women's Democratic Caucus. And to me, it, it's like put your money where your mouth is. That that's what shows it. how do we what policies are we going to do in the first 100 days? Where's the where the funding? Where's the funding going to go? What choices are we making? To me, it, it's that's what demonstrates it, you know, um, paid family leave and childcare; These are issues that affect the entire family. And we know that when women succeed, our, our, our whole country succeeds. So I, I think that's where we're going to see it. You know, right now, women only hold 32 percent of the wealth. That is, you know, a- appalling. And even in Congress, you know we, you know, we're over fifty percent of the population. But when you look, you know, in the House and the Senate, we're we're you know twenty four percent of the House, so we're still underrepresented. But it's the highest percentage we've ever seen in, in in the history of our country. And I think the whole point is that let's see that growth happen exponentially, like from twenty sixteen when I ran to twenty eighteen, it has grown. And now one of the other hats that I've been wearing is I'm Uh, co-chair for the Red to Blue program through the Democratic Congressional Caucus, tried to help flip, you know, seats from red to blue and the House seats. And the majority of the people that are on that list are women. And uh, also, we have our first Afro-Latina in Candace Valenzuela. We, We have some incredible candidates. And I think it's a combination of that as well as school boards and city councils. And, you know, it's running for those things that are local and have real meaning to people's everyday lives, you know, as well as what we do on the federal level. And then it's even running the campaigns. I mean, getting people more engaged in in on the other side of the house, I think, is a, another area that I've been trying to support people in in, in like boot camps and things like that. And, that, and I feel that's part of my responsibility, too, is, is to help
0: create that pipeline,
1: you know, uh, so that, uh, that, that we just keep getting stronger and stronger.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited about that. I'm glad that you're at the helm of that Red to Blue program. I am glad that you're in the house. This conversation has been so inspiring and empowering, and I'm really glad that you're leading. So thank you so much for for stepping up. I appreciate you.
1: Thank you for having me, especially during this really, really important day and this really, really important time. And I just hope everybody will, you know, go to IWillVote.com or when we all org or whatever website you need to make sure you have your plan. And I've, I've been laughing and telling people, you know, it used to be bring your kid to work day. Well, now it's take your parent or your grandparent or your uncle to the poll or to the to the mailbox because we have got every single person can play a role in in this major, major election because it's a turning point for our country. And so I am I appreciate so much what you're doing. Um, I've gotten to listen to, you know, some of your podcasts and just how you're informing people, but you're also inspiring and motivating people. So thank you so much, Jen, for everything that you're doing. Well thank you. Thank you.